All right, so greetings and salutations. Welcome to Extra Help with Inside Schools, season two, episode one. My name is Tanisha Williams, and I'm happy to serve as your host for this term. Extra Help was specifically created to serve parents in New York City. An extension of Inside Schools, this podcast is our ongoing conversation with parents, whether we're tackling major headlines in the news, sharing out specific resources to get you through the week, or answering questions as they surface from all the trending media platforms. Most importantly, though, this space will provide a bit of banter about most things in education in New York City. So during our virtual meetups, we invite you to elevate your thoughts, concerns, and ideas in hopes of equipping you to be strong advocates, parent activists, and hashtag number one dad, number one mom, number one guardian, because we really want you to earn that cup. You can't just get that cup. You have to earn the mug that you get. So for our friends in the live audience, and hello and greetings to our friends in the live audience, please be reminded that in our Zoomiverse, your likeness and name are publicly displayed for all subsequent viewers and broadcasts of this episode. In addition, you'll be able to access this podcast version by searching for Extra Help Podcast on all the major podcast streaming platforms. So without any further ado, let's get this show on the road. Today, in episode one, we welcome Tom Liam Lynch, Director of Education Policy at the Center for New York City Affairs and Editor-in-Chief at Inside Schools. Welcome, sir. Hey, Tanisha. Thanks for the welcome. Hey. So, Tom, I really want to start with you. In March of 2020, you launched Extra Help, and I would—I think it would be amazing if you would connect some dots for us. Tell us what you were thinking when you launched it. Tell us about your goals for Extra Help, and then tell us where you really want to see this podcast go this term. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Tanisha. Really excited to be back and for Extra Help to be resurrected at another hour of need for New York City families. I initially launched the podcast. It was, it was really just like an effort to try to get information to families like any way we could. What was happening, which is not dissimilar from now, which is sad and horrifying in many ways. There were a lot of unknowns in the city school system. There were a lot of mixed messages and information that was kind of circulating that was really hard to find. You know, you have that kind of macro policy stuff, and then you've got individual families who are just trying to figure out how to make sure their kid will be okay. We had like blog posts we were putting out. We had different kinds of resources. The podcast was another way. The idea was that in such a text heavy world of like email blasts and Twitter and all of this and headlines, maybe part of what families would benefit from was hearing a voice and seeing a face that was just like trying to help them make sense of things. So we did like, I think I did an episode of almost every week for a number of months, just trying to make sense of stuff. And that was season one. It was mostly me in my like tiny apartment with family interrupting and a microphone on a phone. And what we realized, I think going into this next year is like the need for communication, the need for information, insights, like connection, the need is still very, very real. And so what we're doing with this season of Extra Help is a little different. So one is we are expanding it to be more of like a live webinar on a weekly basis so that there's a live video component that can be more community building like and can be more responsive to what's happening in the moment. We also have a new host yourself to to bring like new energy and perspectives to to the work. And what we'll also be doing is we're, we're going to try to play with some different forms, again, of just trying to reach families wherever they are. So we have a live webinar that might be convenient for some. We want to sh- put this into podcast form shortly afterward and have that up, you know, by Friday morning. 
And down the road, we might do something similar with video. Again, just trying to make stuff available in as many ways as possible. That's the gist of what season one was. We took a little hiatus and we're back uh, for season two. All right, good times. We aim to please and we aim to show up and deliver. So let's jump into the news. The thought process is that we'll really, we'll see what's going on in the headlines, spend a little time chatting about news. Then we'll pivot to some questions that have surfaced either on Inside Schools Plus or questions from our audience members. And then we'll end with some actions, some takeaways, some leave behinds that our parents can hopefully benefit from. So you ready to talk things news, Tom? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So August 26th, there was an article that surfaced. What type of instruction will NYC students receive in quarantine? Schools are in the dark. And this article was all about what happens if and when a school shuts down or a student needs quarantine. Would love to start, Tom, with your thoughts around this article, and then we can highlight some of what came out of it. Yeah, yeah. I read these kind of articles, honestly, Tanisha, with like two hats on. Like one is with the inside school's hat on and the other one is as a parent who's, you know, has uh, my own my own son's uh, rising seventh grader um, at, a, at a middle school in the city. And so it's, it's kind of reading, it's reading both. And insofar as like the different kinds of instructions around COVID came, like with the CDC and the state's guidance in mind, like it all kind of made sense, like part, partly like I'm, I'm paying more attention to what the, the, the national government and the state says about things um, and then kind of double checking that what the TOE provides is, is comparable in terms of its in terms of its intentionality. But we also I think most importantly for me, it was the way the school principal, my son's school principal communicated back with families and framed like what it really means. My fear factor is like oh my gosh, they're all going to go back and it's going to be just like last time where it was somebody has a cold or somebody has legit COVID signs and like, and they shut it all down. And it's just, it's this, it's this constant back and forth of unpredictability. I think there might be some of that. We can talk more about that later, but I, th I think the quarantine instructions and the explanations for my, uh, for my son's school principal, like made a lot of sense. They're trying to handle it sensibly. And she had a kind of detailed breakdown of how they've been, they interpreted the DOE's policies and how they're going to act on it. They are trying not to repeat what happened um, in the past as a system. And I know it's, it's certainly as, as one individual school, and I have lots of friends who are principals and teachers in schools, you know, they're, they're really trying to do everything they can to, to keep kids in school, which, which I get and is positive perhaps in some ways. It's also a concern for in some ways, too. Um, because we do worry that there's going to be COVID spread as a result of 1.1 million students just going back to schools, or at least a, a, a great number of them doing so. Yeah, and so I just want to highlight, so one, thank you for that, Tom, and I just want to highlight the specific resource that uh, this article kind of grounded itself in, and it was that 13-page homecoming document that DOE pushed out that you referenced. Mm -hmm. So one piece is that we'll definitely make sure that parents get that in the show notes, and we'll also push that out. But just to highlight again, that document not only talked about the safety protocols and what happens when schools shut down, but it gave some guidance on the students who now have medically, I guess, medically, how do we say this? They are able to receive uh, remote services because of medical necessities right now. So that whole listing is in that 13 page document and we wanna make sure that that gets into the hands of parents. A few other things that were highlighted from this article is that I didn't realize that 60% of all DOE students received remote instruction last year. Did you know that? 
Did you know it was uh, that high? I think I did hear a number as high as that. That's right. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. So anywho, pivoting on to uh, two articles that came out just yesterday that are around similar topics. The first, UFT president slams city for decision to cut payroll for unvaccinated staff with a medical exemption. And then the second article, New York City teachers union continue negotiations over COVID-19 vaccine mandate. So this first one, needless to say, Michael Mulgrew was just pleased. And I actually have a poll quote. Let me quote what the man said. He said, to say that we were angry that the city tried to remove people from payroll, people who actually went into school last year without vaccines, just shows you their disregard for the great work that the teachers of New York City have done. So the long and short and where we go with these conversations is what's going on with this vaccine mandate and this request for teachers, 80,000 teachers to receive their first dose of vaccine by September 27th. The UFT is like, we need to go into negotiations. And the mayor's like, we're going to keep on keeping on, but we'll talk through and figure it out. So, Tom, I want to pivot there and also just open it up to the room. Would love to get your thoughts or insight on uh, what's going on with these negotiations and where we land with vaccinations. The key thing that kind of jumped out to me, and this was like a, it was like an interview on New York One yesterday. It was framed as in the article as like the payroll question with city teachers and like, and and it was kind of this in this operational way. The But Michael Mulgrew actually hinted in several forms that like, he doesn't, he doesn't think the city is going to be able to maintain not having a more clear remote option for families. The point of the interview was around this decision, you know, whether or not the city could cut you know, teacher salary if they didn't get vaccinated, which I can't imagine they're going to be able to get away with in any form. But the, the kind of real insight there that I got to is like, oh, so Michael Mulgrew can like really continues to keep pressure on the city that like there's going to be a remote option. And, and my question is like, why aren't we doing more about that? We're hearing more and more from families who are saying they're not comfortable sending their kids back. They might not be a majority necessarily, but like, but but their needs are important and should be responded to um, appropriately. Um, there's also just the elephant in the room reality, which Mulgrew hints at in this interview that like, if you have teachers who aren't going to be able to report for duty, regard regardless of the payroll thing, who are not going to be able to go into school buildings. And if you have families who are saying they're not comfortable sending their kids in, and if you have some sort of, you know, some sort of policy already in place to say that there will be times when kids can't go to school, then of course you have to have a remote learning option of some kind. So that interview really highlighted that for me, the way that all of these things, which seem like separate headlines are actually very, very interconnected. And remote learning is really at the, I, honest for me, remote learning is at the center of it. The absence of an actual plan um, is, is really the crux of so much of the drama we're experiencing right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I do want to pause because we have some audience members. Thanks you guys so much for joining us to see if there are any thoughts or ideas that you wanted to share in regard to, to these two articles. While you're gearing up to, to think of some, some thoughts to share, I will share one more poll quote um, from that second Chalkbeat article, the New York City Teachers Union Continued Negotiations. The city has backed off its initial position that teachers with medical and religious exemptions be removed from payroll, as Tom just said. But there are still many details on how these exemptions will be applied. So I just want to pause and see if you guys have some thoughts or something that you wanted to share before we dig into some other questions from families. 
Mom, are they a quiet bunch? That's cool. That's all right. Going once, going twice. We'll create lots of uh, different ways too for families to share questions throughout the week leading up to episodes. Um, so no worries, and we're we're thankful for folks for being here. Um, let's pivot, Tanisha. Let's jump into some of the questions for families. What's that? Let's what's the number it. one question you have that you had in mind? Yeah. So from Inside Schools Plus, uh, we we had a few concerns. I I. I will keep the number one concern for my second question, but one of the concerns was really around transportation. Um, and what do you do if and when your student needs transportation? How do you get patched into information about transportation? Where does the information about transportation lie? So Tom, I don't know if you wanna go back and forth pivoting some resources that we have to be helpful in regard to transportation, but I'm happy to share some out yeah, also. Why don't you share some of the links? And then, you know, I think there's always the question too of like, what happens when I follow the rules and try to do what I'm supposed to do and nothing happens. Um, so I think we can all, we can address that too, but what are, you know, what's officially, what are families supposed to do when there's, um, when there's a question around bus transportation? Yeah, so first things first, DOE has a transportation overview landing page, and I've dropped that link in the chat for you guys. We will also make sure that it ends up in the show notes, but you can absolutely reference that DOE webpage for all things transportation and what the official DOE steps are. Now, there's also another way to get at that information, and that starts with those parent coordinators at your school and the welcome centers that exist for DOE. So first things first, if you didn't know, now you know, just about every school has a parent coordinator. And Tom, I found out I was right. You have to have at least 250 students to have a parent coordinator. So depending on where your school is with enrollment, you may or may not have a designated parent coordinator, but there is someone who has that duty. And you can find out who those folks are by visiting InsideSchools.org. If you search for the school name in the top right-hand corner, you will find under contact information, the principal information, but then also that parent coordinator's information. I've dropped that link in the chat for you also. There is also DOE Family Welcome Centers. Now, the sole purpose of these welcome centers is to ensure that parents get all of the information that they need to start up school effectively. So there's an entire landing page for that also, and I've dropped that link in the chat for you too. That's great. And Tanisha, I stand corrected. Tanisha and I had a, had a discussion yesterday, I think, in planning for the episode around whether all schools have parent coordinators, which was always my understanding. And she sleuthed it out and that isn't true. That's not right. Not meaning you're correct. And like and 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 if and and that's still not right for families, right? It's like regardless of what size the school is, there should be a single point of contact. Um, because I think it's if there isn't that parent coordinator, it's falling on someone else whose plate is already quite full. So you know, I think the other question we get a lot related to these kinds of things is like, what are, what happens when I follow the rules and I don't and I don't get like what I'm, you know, I don't get a satisfactory response or help. The advice that I always give, and I'm sure I will repeat a thousand different ways, you know, um, well, at least not on this episode, hopefully, but like just over time is there's kind, there's an order in which you can reach out and advocate for for your child. And it always starts, I think, with the, the lead teacher in a classroom, if you have a homeroom teacher or whatever it might be, if it's any question that even remotely touches on instruction or even logistics, I think especially at the start of the year, it's okay to use them as a primary, a primary contact. Um, if it's something way more operational that you know that the homeroom teacher doesn't have any sort of understanding of or control over like bus transportation or something similar, the parent coordinator, as Nisha was saying, is like, is a key contact person. 
then there's the principal of the school. And then if things don't, you know, if things are not moving and you're not getting responses to things that are that are clear enough, then you also have like the Family Welcome Center. But more importantly, I think the, the superintendent's office too. At the beginning of the year, I think it's really important that that families as much as you can, like, you know, and we'll talk about this a little more in a moment, but like that you know who your people are at the school and you know how to reach out to them. But we'll get to that a little more. We've got something real concrete to help there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you so much for that. But per your point, whether there's a, we we hope that there's a designated person and oftentimes those duties get shared and we pile on too many duties sometimes to folks. But the long and short is that there is someone at the school who is equipped to have this conversation with you. Sometimes you just got to figure out who that person is. So our second question, Tom, is all around, and I think this one was the most elevated or the most upvoted, if I can use that term. When will remote options be available to families not comfortable with sending their child to school? And this is where we don't have the best of news for families, because as of right now, we don't have an answer for that. Yeah, no, that's right. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's helpful just to know if you're if you're a parent or a caregiver who's who's stressed and freaking out about what's coming sometimes it's helpful just to know that other people don't know either <laughs> so it you know and this is one of those cases um where that's the where where that's happening um we 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 re i read something i think a week ago from uh one of the caucuses within uft so this is a subgroup of teachers who are working um who work together within the uft that they received guidance on providing office hours is how it was termed um, and these office hours seem to be an attempt to try to have a systematic online or remote learning option for students who couldn't be in school. That is that is not a digital learning strategy. That is not a system-wide virtual academy. That is nothing resembling uh, an actual plan from my perspective from the Department of Ed. But they did they, they do have this document in this term called office hours that seems to be circulating. I think one of one of the um, one of the we can actually I can provide the uh, the link to I had the Twitter chat somewhere I can, I'll put in the link in uh, in the chat in a moment but the documents that I saw are really really like vague and general in terms of what can constitute an office hour and meaning if you look at the docs closely they have they use the and or kind of thing right it's and slash or um, which just means like all of these different options that they're um, they're saying like, oh, your child will, you know, will receive a virtual lesson or an asynchronous posted assignment or an email from the teacher. Like it could really be anything. Um, and it seems pretty it seems pretty vague and unenforceable at the end of the day. So um, that just that that has kept my antenna up in terms of really what I do is like when I'm looking at headlines coming out or I'm hearing from the principal of my of my son's school, um, I'm looking for these terms and be and I'm kind of wondering, like, how is she going to enforce office hours at her school with her teachers? Right. So even though there's like the macro DOE dysfunction, a lot of it comes down to who's your principal at your school and who's your child's like kind of point of contact teacher. Who are the teachers? Um, and even amidst the DOE dysfunction, if you can establish, you know, some trust and communication with the school leader and with teachers, at least your own child's experience can, you know, can can perhaps be better than it could have been otherwise. And that's my 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 quick response there. We have about seven minutes left, Tanisha. Maybe we want to uh, pivot to the document. We have a little tool that I created for an online course uh, last yeah, year that you use. 
That's exactly right. I do, but I also want to acknowledge this question in the chat around um, schools providing computers for asynchronous days. And I think that is definitely aligned to this tool that we're about to share. A question like that is so school specific. And let me just say it again to make sure you guys captured it. Um, will schools provide computers during asynchronous days? So the point that Tom was just highlighting is that each school has their, their very own way of doing things. And so to move us into our resources, Tom has created a form that parents can use to start to connect some dots with who does what at the school level. So I've dropped that link in the chat and actually I'll just bring it up, Tom, so folks can see it if you wanna talk folks through. No problem. And thanks so much for that question. When it comes, and to echo Tanisha there, when it comes to computers access, Tanisha's absolutely right. Like focus on your child's school. If you've got that question, reach out to your child's school. The parent coordinator is a good first point of contact. Your child's teachers might've been in touch already with this kind of thing or principal, but the parent coordinator should be the main kind of first person to communicate with there. The DOE did buy hundreds of thousands of devices last year. That doesn't mean that they're distributed equitably and well. It just means that they purchased them all. And you know the process for actually managing, managing them comes down to the school. Um, Importantly, on that note, and then I'll, I'll kind of talk through what this uh, this tool is that we have available. Just be aware too, when it comes to technical support for the device, there's kind of two ways you can go as a parent. You've got there's the DOE central helpline, which can be helpful. That's a big office, um, very likely in downtown Brooklyn at MetroTech, um, where they're answering all of these kinds of calls, and it's like a central operation. Your child's school almost certainly also has their own kind of tech mechanism in place at the school, or they might. And so it's important to suss that out because you might get better and quicker support just by reaching out to your child's school or your child's school might direct you to the central number. So that's just something to be aware of. We have a document that um, I created last year for an online class um, that's meant to try to help families in making sense of essentially learning remotely or the potential for learning remotely. It's called My Schools Platforms Inventory or an MSPI. Sounds fancy, I should rename it. There's some little adjustments I need to make to the copy, but this is what it does. So it provides families an opportunity to identify very clearly what are all the ways in which the administration at my child's school communicates with me. So it might be via a My Schools account. It might be via WhatsApp. It might be via Operu. It might be via just email blasts. Um, but how is my child, what are all the different platforms, right? So like, so like WhatsApp or Facebook or the website or email, what are all the different channels and platforms that are being used here? If there's any URLs or websites I need to remember to connect, you know, to check in on what are those? Are there login and passwords I need to, to be aware of? And this is like, this is one way I wanna make sure that I, I kind of create a catalog of how the administration communicates with me and my family. Be, be aware too that, especially as students get older, sometimes the students are being communicated with directly as well. And I'll speak to that a little more in a moment. Um, it has some other tools, again, to kind of walk you through how to make sure you're getting communications and you can two-way communications ideally with administration at a school. That is related to, but separate then, from doing a similar process for being like, well, how is my child's teachers, how are they communicating with me? And so a teacher might communicate with you via um, the Seesaw platform for the younger kids or via Google Classroom, for instance. Um, 
And so there's very likely different kinds of communication channels that are being used by the teachers to communicate with families. And so this document that I've created kind of helps walk you through and kind of just, again, take a catalog of what are the ways teachers are communicating with me as well. Then I have like a couple prompts to try to help, you know, just again, families make sense of some of this. Um, it's so, there's so much that can go wrong with communications from schools, even with these platforms that are supposed to be really good at it, in part because not the schools aren't necessarily coordinated with how they use it. And I don't blame them for it. I actually think the city should be doing more to, to help them coordinate such things, but also little personal preferences. Like when you set up an account, what are the notification settings that you've agreed to? Like that will have an impact on what kinds of messages you get or you don't get. So this document is um, hopefully really helpful to families as a way to make sense um, of, you know, just making sure in that first week or two that you have, you have a sense of who's communicating with whom and how from my child's school. So Tom, thank you for starting us out. Season two, episode one with a resource and action, a takeaway that parents can immediately put into place as schools start on September 13th. We are almost there, my friends. We wanna thank you all for joining us. That is all for this episode, but you don't have to stop your engagement here. You guys be reminded that you can absolutely visit us at insideschools.org and you can sign up for that weekly newsletter. You can also find us at our Facebook page via our our Twitter, or our WhatsApp group for Spanish-speaking families. Of course, there's always Inside Schools Plus. And we welcome you to return next week and join us again for more conversation and more questions with extra help. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>